And now. And now, introducing the one, the only, the future of Jenna Benemy on Dash Talk X. I love it. Three, three, two, two, one. Let's go. Good evening, fam. I'm Jenna Benemy, and you're listening to The Future of on Dash Talk X, a show where we address topical issues across all industries, including law, business, startups, entertainment, national security, you name it, along with our guest projections on where their industry is headed, given the growing presence of artificial intelligence during these changing times. And finally, we've added a segment called Tips, where our guest will advise us on how to get started in their industry. We air every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. With us today is one of the coolest deans I think anyone's ever met, Loyola Law School Dean Michael Waterstone. Hey, Michael. Hey, how are you? I'm so good. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. Um, Michael has been an incredible just person and contact. I met him through Charlie, Charles Liu, uh, who is on the board of directors at Loyola. And you welcomed him on, right? Yeah, we were really excited to get Charles on the board. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's wonderful and he knows everyone and um, he's always down to help. Check us out on Instagram if you haven't already, guys. Uh, I'm the Jenna Ben and the show is the future of dot radio. Uh, what's your Instagram, Michael? Or do you have one? Yeah, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you don't. Okay. I know. Education's a little bit conservative, right? Yeah. I'm the dorky law professor without one, but... You're far from dorky, but we'll pretend. I'm afraid if I'll get one, then I'll have to allow my daughter to get one, so... Oh. Okay, so Michael, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? Yeah, I grew up here in Los Angeles, in the San Fernando Valley, Mm -hmm. um, and really lived in Los Angeles my whole life. I went to UCLA for undergrad, Mm -hmm. uh, and then after undergrad, taught elementary school for a year, which was great. I loved it. Um, What grade? I taught third grade math and science. Uh, I did PE. I did kind of a bunch of different things. Nice. And I actually split my time between a Jewish day school in Beverly Hills and a Catholic school in Brentwood. Interesting. Which is the perfect irony given now that I'm the Jewish dean of a Catholic law school. That's so funny. So, but obviously that made you really well-rounded and you kind of understood each demographic and all that. Hopefully. Yeah, I think so. So, okay, I always ask, this is my favorite question, everyone knows, what was your first job ever? I worked at a frozen yogurt store okay. in the Northridge Mall, which no longer exists. It was called Everything Yogurt. Mm. We got paid, I think, significantly below minimum wage, no. and we were all concerned to ask about minimum wage because we didn't want to get fired. Yeah. Uh, but I worked jobs, God, all through high school, all through college. I think it's really important. I was actually talking to a group of parents the other day mm who were, I think the subject was, you know, preparing your kid for college. And one of the points I tried to make is kids today, they should work retail. They should work fast food. You Mm. really learn a lot. You learn how to be responsible. You learn how to take criticism. You learn that you're not the center of the universe. And I think that type of work um, is extraordinarily valuable. I think so too. I got my start as a camp counselor Mm -hmm. when I was 12 and it actually wasn't legal for me to work. I didn't have any kind of permit, but I was a counselor in training and they came up to me and they're like, hey, you're really good with the kids. Do you want to work here? And I'm like, okay, so instead of paying, I get paid. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I got paid $9 an hour at the time where minimum wage was, I think, six something. So I was balling out of control. That's pretty legit. Yeah. <laughs> and then when um, when school was back, I did the after school program and I just never stopped working since all kinds of jobs. I think it's really valuable. I think it, um, it made me... Uh, really good at multitasking and, you know, kind of entrepreneurial and able to handle a lot. Love it. I know, right? So, um, okay, so you are the dean of Loyola Law School, huge accomplishment, and we'll get into that. Um, Are you working on anything else outside of the law school? Are you allowed to? What's it like as the dean? That's an interesting question. I I think I'm probably allowed to. I would say... So my job is extraordinarily fulfilling and challenging, and I get to interact with a lot of really interesting people, and there are a lot of things that go along with that. I also have three small children. They're Mm. 13, 10, and 5, and very involved in their lives, like to coach their sports and and be with them as much as I can. So between the two, I certainly have other outside interests, um, uh, volunteer and otherwise, but those two things take tend to take up the majority of my days. Mm-hmm. And of course you still want to be a dedicated husband and father. And so what's your favorite sport to coach? Baseball and really? or softball. 
baseball for the boys, softball for my daughter. Awesome. I could see that. It's a, uh, it's a blast. It's, it's the one thing that there's no clock. It really is just dialing in. Um, I love the teamwork aspect of it. Uh, yeah. and it's just a great way to spend time with my kids. I leave the phone in the car. I'm really able to be present. Uh, and it's just a lot of fun. I love that. Um, okay. So we're going to dive in. Um, let's do it. Let's do it. So what would you say are the challenges associated with the legal industry right now? It's a great question. It's a big question. Um, I think we live in a time of really dramatic change and I'm sure I'm not the only guest to come in and talk about that. I think we live in a time when law, technology, business are really flying together in ways that they never have before. Mm. Uh, one example is the work that I did right when I started at a law firm when I graduated law school, often involved sitting in rooms that weren't as nice as the one that you and I are sitting in now. Mm. And I'd be reviewing hundreds, thousands of pieces of paper. And depending on what was on those pieces of paper, I'd be categorizing them, red stickies, yellow stickies, mm. green stickies. And I was paid a lot of money to do that. And clients were paying the law firm that I worked at a lot of money for me to do that. Work. Right. And that work was important to, I was a litigator, so it was important to these large cases that we were working on. And it was kind of how you cut your teeth as a junior lawyer learning to do this. That work, human beings aren't necessarily doing the bulk of that work anymore, right. given the developments in artificial intelligence, uh, Algorithms are doing a fair bit of that. So law itself is changing. Um, Now, part of what happened during the Great Recession is for the first time, clients were, maybe not for the first time, but clients became more price sensitive than they were before and were able to push back on law firms. Mm -hmm. And law firms had to think about their business model. And, And there are always times of transition in any profession. I think for law, it actually created... Uh, some great opportunities for different types of law firms, different types of lawyers practicing to emerge. So I think it's a very exciting time. Um, I think whatever change one wants to create in the world, law is central to that. Right. Um, But yeah, there's a lot going on. So do you know the name of the company that, um, forgive me, I know Charlie and I talked about this a bunch. It was, uh, I think there's some sort of software that can skim through a bunch of, was it like, case precedents? So there are a lot of them that are in this space right now. A lot of them are being funded um, by venture capital up in Silicon Valley. And it all comes down to coding, um, to the algorithms they're using. They're able to take pleadings, which again, when I was practicing, used to be a very manual thing for a junior lawyer to look at and formulate a response. And they're able to do that increasingly um, with machine learning and, and to be able to get better at it and better at it. So that's definitely a change that is hitting our profession. I think it's still unknown the extent of that change, but those and other forces are certainly converging. So do you think that um, legal work is going to change then? Because there won't be a need for junior attorneys or paralegals or legal secretaries to go through the paperwork as you described, right? Yeah. So your question is, do I think legal work will change? The only thing I'm certain about is that legal work will change. Legal work has always changed. Um, You know, uh, there are a lot of historians that say the largest change to happen within law was air conditioning. And it used to be the case that law firms simply in, in warm weather areas couldn't stay open when it was warm because it just got too hot inside the work. Once air conditioning, people can work around the clock, changes the nature of the law firm. So point being, there there have always been changes in the legal profession and there will always be changes. Now, what those changes mean, well, here I fall back on the great legal philosopher Yogi Berra, who said (laughs) predicting the future is hard because it hasn't happened yet. Um, But I think certainly machine learning, artificial intelligence will impact the practice of law. It's impossible to think that they won't. At the same point, I really believe that there will always be a need for human judgment, human oversight, human Mm -hmm. interaction. So it's just thinking about how that will continue to interact. Um, The other piece of this is despite the fact that, you know, we exist in the, the wealthiest country in the history of the world and we have a justice system that I still think is the envy of the world, we have a massive access to justice gap in our society. So many people that 
that need access to justice and access to law aren't able to afford it, aren't able to get it. And technology has a role to play there as well. So what is Loyola doing anything in that department? Sure. So we have a first-year course now in innovation law where students are in their very first year of law school getting to learn and exposure to these topics. We have courses in virtual reality, uh, in blockchain, cryptocurrency. Mm. We have the first uh, dedicated course of study in cyber law and cyber regulation, I believe anywhere on the West Coast. So it's something that we are looking at, we are investing in. We want our students to be able to be prepared to get that all-important first job, but also have the, the base for sustainable excellence over the course of their career. They're always going to need to keep learning. It's impossible to fix a point in time and say, now you know what you need to know about law and technology. Right. But we need to grow their vocabulary because they're the ones that are going to need to be interacting with the engineers and the technologists that are creating and implementing these these technologies, legal and otherwise, of the future. Yeah. So are you encouraging your student now? I just want to acknowledge that I know that these changes are taking effect because of you and your philosophy and just through our side conversations. And I think that's so wonderful, like how progressive you are. And I think it's really going to put Loyola on the map for, um, you know, being progressive and preparing new attorneys for this crazy world we live in where, you know, there's um, we live in a different time. You know, I think even just looking at uh how it was for me to be in middle school versus kids in middle school today and social media and computers versus mechanical pencils or like a number two pencil and rubber cement glue versus all kinds of other entertainment that the kids have now. I don't, there's just so much change going on, but there's something about today that um, I feel like the young workforce isn't prepared for, but it's nice to see that you guys are getting ahead of it. So do you have, um, any ways that you help Loyola law students find jobs or where, where can law students typically find a job with yeah. their skill set? First of all, you are kind. Let me assure you and anyone listening that it is any, any type of change is a team effort. And we have a great group sure. of folks at Loyola and as the leader of the organization, often my highest and best use is finding conditions for types of innovations that are happening already to flourish and providing you know, the the necessary direction and resources. So it's certainly a team effort. In terms of getting students jobs, hugely important. It's one of the most important functions that that we do and that I get to do as the leader, not myself necessarily personally, but making sure that we are adequately sourcing and thinking about how we want to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm proud that our, so what, what we measure is how many of our students are fully employed in real grown-up legal jobs mm. out in the world at the 10-month point. Oh, and okay. we'll never rest until that number is 100, but right now we're at 80%, which wow. is higher than that number has ever been. So yeah. we're, we do a lot of things. We make sure that we're constantly outreaching to employers, teaching students entrepreneurial skills, teaching them networking skills, making sure that while they're in law school, they're having the opportunity to work for judges, work for lawyers, understand the different types of settings that lawyers work in. Mm -hmm. You know, I always say that no one should graduate from Loyola Law School without a network of of five lawyers who are primarily made up of our alumni who know who they are, who care about them, who are invested in their success and are willing to open doors at that initial level to, to get them going. That's so important. Network is really everything in this day and age. You know, it's a little bit, you know, that saying it's it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. And of course in law, like I really hope it's what they know, but sure. <laughs> but the network is huge. Um, so what are your plans for Loyola Law at this point? We're going to keep doing what we're doing, but keep getting better at it. We mm-hmm. are going to uh, keep modernizing and improving our course of study while at the same time keeping what makes us special, which is that magical moment in the classroom between a teacher and a student, we have, I really often say we are better than anyone else at preparing our students to practice law, and I really mean that, but the secret sauce there is the quality of the teaching and how much our faculty care and are invested in student success. Mm. Um, And so we're going to keep that but continue moving it forward into the world ahead. We're going to continue being true to our social justice mission and making sure that we train lawyers that have the skills and tools and training and desire 
to make the world a better place. And they all define that differently, and that's great. But whatever challenges or opportunities we face as a people, whether it's global warming, whether it's the criminal justice system, whether it's uh, the evolving nature of what it means to work in the modern world, law is central to that. And we want our students, we know our students are going to be a key part of that conversation. Uh, And I get the joy of getting to meet with a lot of great people and raising a lot of money to, to fuel all of that success. And that's a big job. It's a lot of pressure. Uh, I'm grateful to do it. Yeah, you're kicking butt. So, guys, you're listening to The Future Of with Jenna Benemy and our guest, Dean Michael Waterstone. Um, is it true that you are, like, the youngest dean of a law school in history? <laughs> that I have no idea. Um, I, uh, yeah, I really don't know. I'm sure someone somewhere keeps stats on it, but. Interesting. Well, I don't know. In my book, you are. <laughs> there you go. So, so what's it like being the youngest dean? Yeah, at least at Loyola Law. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I guess, nominally closer in age to the students, although I think I, a few years ago, past the point where they were doing things out in social media and in the world that, that no longer felt natural to me and I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. understand. Um, so, Like taking pics of their food? <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> pics of their food. Um, texting each other during class or whatever group chat or whatever they use. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we have... We've got a great cadre of junior faculty and staff. We have a great cadre of more senior faculty and staff. And when it it's it's when it all works together, it's a great thing. So, I, for me personally, the 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 probably most challenging and best part about being, I guess, on the younger side to be a dean is I have young kids. Mm-hmm. So my kids, as I mentioned, are thirteen, ten, and five. And let me segue thinking about technology and and how technology is impacting the world. My 13-year-old and 10-year-old, I'm fairly convinced in the next few years, they're going to do what you and I did, which is get their learner's permit, get a driver's license, make me nervous. <laughs> I'm not convinced my 5-year-old will ever learn to drive. And really? it's nothing to do with him. It's that when you think about autonomous vehicles and yes. how fast that is happening, and, and you know, it's, it's more the regulation than the technology that's holding things up. So part of what we want to do is make sure our law students are prepared for that future. Um, but I digress. What I was saying is the the... The hardest thing about my job is doing it with young kids. I could be out, you know, six, seven nights a week spending time with interesting people like you and Charles and others and, and, and talking and talking about the school. When I interviewed for the job, I was pretty clear that if that's what you're looking for out of a dean, I totally get that. Don't mm-hmm. hire me because right. I'm, you know, I do coach my kids and I am very involved in their lives. So the hard thing is that I do wind up with this series of conflicts. And I've generally managed them by doing the dad thing instead of the dean thing. I figure mm-hmm. I'm going to be dad a lot longer than I'm going to be dean. Right. And, you know, and I'm able to, you know, make it all work. Uh, the great thing about it is my kids are young enough that they still like me and they still want to spend time with me and mm. they could care absolutely less what I do for work. Yeah. Um, so I'm able to go home, you know, coach a game, spend a few hours with them and then plug back into work and that being present with them, I find very invigorating and, and I'm able to dial in and have greater focus because I have had that separation. Right. Right. Um, so being a Dean, is that something that you just stay on indefinitely or is there like a term and then you get sort of voted in again? Is it, you know? Yeah, it's a good question. So my boss is the president of Loyola Marymount university. We are the law school for Loyola Marymount university. I have, I believe a five-year term. And mm. then at that point I would, you know, some combination of they would decide if they wanted to keep me on and I would decide if I wanted to keep doing it. I'm currently in year three. Um, I'm having a blast. I really love going to work every day and getting mm. to work with the great people that I do and working on the complex set of issues. Um, and it's fun to be kind of dialed in. I feel like now I'm in my third year. I'm starting to see the field a little bit better and yeah. feeling less terror that I'm messing up every moment of the right, day. Right. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's fun. So how would you advise someone who is looking to become the dean of a law school? Yeah. What steps would you recommend they take? That's so funny. I, I don't know that I've ever met anybody that actually wanted <laughs> to be the dean of a law dean. school. <laughs> if I did, I might wonder about that person. I, I, I say that having number of <laughs> good friends who are, you know, hold the same job at different schools. Um, I mean, the, the typical path is you're 
a professor, then maybe you work as an associate dean, which is kind of like the number two, and then maybe you think about you know becoming the dean. Um, but there are also it's being open to a wider range of people now, lawyers who are looking to make a transition in their career. Uh, it's an interesting job in the sense that I am, you know, in some ways comparable to the CEO of a medium-sized business. Right. Um, we've got a you know fifty, sixty million dollar budget, so it's. And, and, you know, in some ways, very little in my background prepares me to do that. Now yeah. you surround yourself with good people um, and, and do a lot of on-the-job learning. Um, but I think it is increasingly becoming open to a wider range of people. It, it's a phenomenal opportunity to lead an institution, to make contributions to both legal education and the legal profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least I personally find that extraordinarily satisfying. I would imagine that you would be um, in really good shape to probably function as a CEO of a company after this position, given all of the experience, right? Um, you're working with a high budget, you're, <laughs> you're raising funds, you're managing a huge team. I mean, it's, it's, they're all the same skills. Yeah. I would leave that to those who know more about that than I do. I think it's, I often think of myself as someone that, you know, worked you know, on the plant or, you know, worked on the product for a long time and then kind of worked their way up to a leadership position in the institution. Mm-hmm. I understand the product very well. I, I understand legal education. I care deeply about legal education. Um, how transferable that is to other areas, mm-hmm. um, who knows? Fortunately, like I said, I am challenged and fulfilled enough at the moment that really for the first time, probably in a long time, I think not at all about what I want to do next. I'm very oh, happy to kind of awesome. be in the moment and doing what I'm doing. Yeah. So, okay. So you're super passionate about legal education. Let's address the sort of elephant in the legal realm. You know, the student debt black hole. Law school is really expensive. Um, It's, you know, I've come across lawyers who are still in their 40s and 50s paying off student debt. And so what I mean, when Brian Kabatek was on our show, he called me out for not even taking a stab at guessing uh, what the debt number is for student debt. And apparently it's in the trillions. So, I mean, what do you think about that? And, and how would you advise, how would you still encourage, um, you know, young adults to apply to law school and make the most of it? Yeah, it's a big question. Yeah. Um, the first thing I would say is, remember, this is it's larger than a legal education issue. It's a higher education issue. Um, we have a system in this country where people are generally paying for, whether it's college, graduate school, rather than other forms of assistance. That's not the case in a lot of other countries. Mm. Um, and relative to other countries, we have a, you know, a, a high cost of higher ed here. Now, in many cases, our higher, our institutions of higher education are still the envy of the world. And there is a large appetite abroad for American higher ed and legal education, even giving even given the high sticker price. But mm. you know, increasingly, students are coming to us with large debt packages from college, mm. um, which then, you know, to the extent they're taking on law school debt, on top of that, only exacerbates it. Sure. So it's certainly a higher ed issue as opposed to just a legal education issue. Um, so that said, the slice of the world that I deal with, which is legal education, mm-hmm. um, it is extraordinarily expensive to go to law school. And I think for the right person in the right institution, it is still a great investment. The best research that I've shown shows see, says that the vast majority of people that went to law school over time are happy with their decision to have done so and and believe it was a good financial investment. Mm-hmm. That said, there are you know, I wouldn't dispute that there are people that are struggling with the debt burdens they take on. I think we, as do a lot of schools, work very hard through fundraising um, and other kind of sources to try to give as much scholarship assistance we can mm-hmm. to a lot of students to reduce that debt burden. And part of the reason I am so passionate about fundraising is growing our ability to be able to do that. Um, the, you know, most students that go to law school these days wind up with a choice. And it's something along the lines of go to my dream school, the school I really wanted to get into mm. and not get significant financial aid or right. go to the school that's maybe one notch down from that and get in some cases 
very significant financial aid. Mm. And those are hard decisions for people to make. You know, given the high price tag, one of the things that I always ask when anybody's thinking about law school is a series of questions. And and these aren't necessarily self-serving. Why do you want to go to law school? Mm. Really, why? Do you know what lawyers do? And the thing that people that the other things that people that go to law schools do, and compared to what are you thinking about being a lawyer versus a philosophy professor versus uh, retail? So I think it's a rich set of questions that yeah. people need to ask themselves. I mean, for me, this issue is very real. My my wife and I both took out loans for the entirety of our legal education. It was not expensive then as it was now, but I remember when we finally finished finished paying our loans off and it was a big moment. It was like getting a third job. It was significant for us. Does your wife practice? She does. My wife's the associate dean and professor at Southwestern University School of Law. She, um, Julie runs a a legal clinic, which is where her clients or her clinic has clients and it's her students that are representing the clients under her supervision. So it's a, uh, it's a very cool thing. She was a big firm lawyer uh, as I was before getting into being a clinical professor. So in that instance, the liability is on her right to execute or is it on the school? Because she's overseeing the students, but everything has to clear through her, I would imagine. Yeah. And then let me kind of break that up into two parts. It is her bar license, and, and we have clinics too, our clinician's bar license that's on the line. I mean, they are the ones who are actually signing pleadings and making sure that the representation that the students are providing is of the right level. That said, schools carry liability insurance in case mm. there's you know a formal claim or anything like that, although I don't, I'm not aware of that happening. Interesting. So have we, when did you guys meet before law school? You've been together uh, that long? No, no, no. We were... It's a horribly embarrassing story. We were actually set up. Um, Her sister and my first cousin were best friends growing up in San Diego. And I had just graduated law school. She was in between her second and third year. We were both going to be back in Los Angeles for the summer. Mm -hmm. And her sister and my cousin plotted that we had to meet. They had been wanting us to meet for a while. And my cousin calls me and says, well, you're going to be back in LA. You need to meet this girl. And I'm like, Marla, what you want me to do? I don't don't get it. I was like living on a friend's couch at the time. And her sister says, you should do this. And she's thinking, who's this loser that can't get his own date that has his cousin out, like trying to get dates. So we both like, weren't that into it. At least the idea of it, we made plans to meet. It was like on a Wednesday at like four o'clock. I was living in her most beach on a friend's couch. And I remember thinking like, okay, I'll just say I have dinner plans, you know, to get out of this. And right. unbeknownst to me, she had a makeup plan also. Um, but we had a great time. Um, spent, you know, the night talking and getting to know each other. And then literally, I think we saw each other one more time. Then a week later, two weeks later, I moved to Little Rock for the year to do a clerkship. And she moved to Chicago for her third year of law school. So we did the distance thing for a year and then wow. both wound up back in Los Angeles. That's so inspiring. See you guys, <laughs> long distance can work. Yes. And that's so cool that you're both lawyers and, and deans and wow, what um, what big shoes to fill for your kids, honestly. <laughs> but I, I have no doubt that you're going to guide them and they're going to, are you okay with them? Like, like what if one of your kids says, dad, I just, I want to paint and I don't know what, but I want to be an artist and I just, I need to be inspired and I can't be driven by money. How, I mean, how are you going to deal with that? Yeah. You know, it's, you hear parents saying this and it sounds cliche, but now that I have kids, I totally get it and mean it. You just want your kids to be happy. You want them to be like more than anything else. I want my kids to be kind, respectful people mm-hmm. that treat other people the right way. The Yiddish word is mensch. I want my kids to right. be menches and I want you know, then to find things that challenge them and they're passionate about and, and to have healthy relationships, I could really care less professionally what they do. I think it's so important that you, you know, you and Julie are modeling this for your kids, you know, the healthy relationship aspect, because um, I think we don't get enough of that. You know, we're kind of, uh, I think the young generation and, and even, you know, my generation, we're dependent on social media for a lot of... Um, what shapes our perception of society, I think. And even though we know it may not be real and people tend to put their best foot forward, uh, their game face on for social media. 
it's still in the back of our minds and it influences our actions and decisions, I think. Yeah, I, I'm fascinated with that. And I, I I feel challenged by it as a professional and a parent. I mean, we were joking earlier on about an Instagram account or Twitter account, and I know I should have one. Mm-hmm. Um, my, you know, professionally, it would make sense. Um, I just find my life very busy and fulfilling, and I love the human relationships that I have. And I honestly don't understand how to make space for that kind of alternate reality that people inhabit through right. social media or online world. And I know people do it, and I'm sure it has its own set of rewards. I tend to probably think more about the drawbacks. But mm. it is, you think about, somebody said this to me, and I think it's true. When, when I was a kid, middle school is just always hard. Right, like sure. junior high, middle school, it's a hard time. You're growing up and learning about yourself. And but at least when we went home, like it was over. Maybe you were, you know, calling someone, maybe you had a sense that there was a party going on that you weren't invited to. Right. Who knows? But it wasn't always there in your face, never not That's on. Such a good point. Yeah. And and I you know, that that's hard, I think, for kids today. Yes. Yeah. There's no escaping it. Yeah. And then the bullying and everything. Okay, so on the topic of social media, does Loyola Law look into social media accounts um, when students apply? Because I know some colleges will actually ask for the profiles. Yeah, probably less than the undergrads do. I mean, we have, you know, what we're always looking at is on the back end, we know students are going to need to fill out a moral character and fitness certification to be able to sit for the bar. And, you know, we always need to be attuned to the admissions process for anything that would create problems with that, if only to discuss it with the student. Um, But I know that is something that I've read colleges are doing more of in terms of making sure that there's nothing. There was that incident with Harvard, was it last year, where they wound up revoking the admission of a group of students, I think. I think it was Harvard, after they had, you know, were doing something not good online. Um, Yeah. Interesting. Um. I was uh, on a flight with someone yesterday and she was telling me that, you know, she's a singer actress and apparently when she goes to auditions now, it's like, you know, you need to be X, Y, and Z and you need a minimum of 10,000 followers. It's so, you know, and I think we're going to see more of this. Whoever thinks that social media is going to be done with in five, 10 years, I don't know. I think maybe it'll morph into something else. Um, but it's fascinating. And, and so, you know, I've been fairly private most of my life. I just sort of now kind of opened up to people I don't already know because you kind of I'm learning that you have to. Yeah. You know, and even with the radio show, I kind of I want to get to know the listeners. And um, no, I think it does create another way for people to interact with each other, which is, you know, that's the a positive. Good thing. Of it, right. But then there's there's yeah. always like it's I a said, sword. my daughter's 13 and. 13 is the age when you can get an Instagram account. Um, and oh, really? it's kind of this rite of passage. Like we used to get our driver's licenses when we turned 16. They're now right. getting their Instagram accounts when they turn That's, 13. Oh my God. It's amazing. So um, the two things I want to point out, Instagram has now, I mean, like you said, it's a rite of passage. It's actually like a milestone in someone's life now. Um, and then uh, just looking at, Uber and Lyft and how they've created this. They've coined the term. I don't know who started it. I can never remember the story, despite how many times Charlie tells me. <laughs> uh, they've coined the term rideshare. And and there's a whole different way of, you know, getting around these days. And um, I don't know, like, is there anything else that comes to mind that has really, like, shaped our current society? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, it's crazy to think about how different i mean just the fact that we're all walking around carrying something in our pockets that has oh the cell phone all oh the cell phone but i was thinking all the information in the history of the world like available with a mm. click it's you know when we were growing up we watched shows when they were on not right you know, it was like thursday <laughs> night you watch the cosby show not like now where they can watch anything they want at any moment yeah. um there's so much and it's it, it's wild to think about where we're headed it's it's it is incredibly exciting. I think that given advances in biochemistry, it, it's it really does boggle your mind what the next twenty years will look like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, big questions. I remember as a kid, I I like even if I had to 
like pee really bad. I wouldn't leave the TV screen right. until I got to see the the preview for the next week that it would come on because it wouldn't replay. And if I missed it, then I would go to bed wondering like, well, what's going to happen? You know, I needed to see the teaser. <laughs> yeah. I often think about it. My, and again, I keep coming back to my kids. The, my 13 year old, when she was born, there really weren't smartphones. Like she grew up, I, I forget when the first like iPhone came out. It was probably before that, but when, like when we got, Oh, them. I re- well, and so it was like not the flip phone. It was yeah, okay. it first the flip, then the Blackberry. First the Blackberry. Do you remember the, the Sidekick? That was a really cool. Phone. No, what was that? Are you kidding me? It's the one where like, so it's like a brick, right? And uh-huh. then you would sl- it, it would like swivel up. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, or it would swivel straight up, yep. slide straight now up. I That's remember. what it was. That was the coolest phone ever. Everyone who thought <laughs> that the Razor was cool, mm-mm. I kind of miss the Sidekick and Blackberries. Yes. Yeah, I had my Blackberry. Yeah. So, right. So your daughter, she grew up with what? Uh, I mean, I don't even remember. It was like the flip phone. But now my five-year-old has never known a world without the iPhone. Right. He can grab and, you know, he can already do things on there. I mean, that's the weird thing about being my age is you, how do I fix the remote? I don't know. Call the kid. <laughs> they know right. How to deal with <laughs> they know stuff. it better how than How do I do this on my phone? And then they'll take the phone and they're just able to do it. I don't know. They seem more more programmed intuitively to do these things. I know, well, I think, you know, it's it's the exposure. You know, my nephews are the same, but younger minds, uh, they pick up things quicker than we do, right? Yeah, and it's great. I mean, it's a wonderful thing. I think our students, like I said, are adept at technology in ways that will only improve the legal system in the world. Yes. Uh, and so I, I do think it's an exciting moment. So – Speaking to potential applicants of Loyola Law, what would you say are the top five steps you'd recommend to have a decent chance at acceptance? Let's say someone's really passionate and they want to get into your school. I mean, what do you look for? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we want to see passion. You know, what have you done? Are you, if you're coming straight out of college, that's fine. But what are the range of activities that you did in college? What? How do you feel that you know, why do you want to come to law school? What What are you hoping to get out of it? And, and let me say, there's no magical answer. It's more looking for someone that is passionate about something and wants to use law to uh, be a fulcrum for that change. And, and they can be passionate about working in the financial services industry, representing clients. That's very noble and fulfilling and important work. Um, certainly performance in college uh, is important. Uh Taking, you know, the, the, currently the LSAT is the standardized test that people take. We're mm-hmm. considering use of the GRE as some other schools have done. Um, exposure to a legal environment, not necessarily for everybody, but mm-hmm. do you have a sense of what lawyers do? Have you, you know, spent any, can, can you articulate, you know, why you want to do this? Yeah. And I'm going to come back to what I said first, just passion, passion for life, passion for something. So is there more value over a job versus an internship or vice versa? I don't, I think there are probably different answers for different people. I know that we are increasingly looking at students who are bringing work experience to law school. And we're doing that because we know employers on the back end want mm. people that have held a job before, right? Smart. That have exercised judgment in a professional capacity. So that's something that, that we are increasingly paying more attention to. I mm. think that, like I said, I think work Work is valuable. I think so too. And letters of recommendation. Uh, I remember back in my day, it was always like, okay, I want a strong letter. But, you know, sometimes you only have one professor that you're really close with and then you have to get another two and you've only taken one class with them and you need that letter to be strong. And they're telling you, well, I don't really know you that well. Is there someone else you can ask? I mean, it's it's kind of a, a tough position to be in. So would you say that the advice is to really like invest in your relationship with your professors and make sure that those letters are strong or do they not carry that much weight if you have solid work history? I'm, being in higher ed, I like to think that's good life advice generally, whether you want to apply yeah. to law school or not. And let me say, I did not take great advantage of this as a student. There were in undergrad a few professors that I was close to and probably the same in law school, but I, I was not someone that chose to spend you know, a good chunk of my time getting to know my faculty members. Mm. Um, I, I, I think that's so important. I, I see it with our students now. One of the strengths of Loyola are those bonds that develop between faculty and student. And the students that will take time, you know, and, and you have to tell them, like, it's okay to come to office hours 
without any great question. You can come just to talk about yourself and what you're hoping to get out of this and your hopes and dreams and to engage in a conversation. But certainly on the letter of rec issue, it's it's better if someone knows you and can speak to, I went through this experience with the student or this student did this piece of research that I was involved in. it, It is pretty easy to filter out the ones that are kind of pro forma. Right. You know, I almost went to law school. Really? Yeah, I was. um, So I did my undergrad at CSUN and I was working for a forensic psychiatrist and I got the materials to study for the LSATs and I was about a month and a half, two months in. And um, I also was about two months into the job where I was the office manager for three locations. And then um, I would sit on conference calls to kind of learn what he did because I had no idea. I don't even, I think I probably misspoke when people asked what I did the first few times because what is forensic psychiatry, Mm -hmm. you know? So for those who don't, um, it's expert witness testimony and he primarily focused on um, employment litigation. So he would be the the doctor to get on the stand and say, no, um, your client did not develop bulimia as a result of a hostile work environment and here's proof. That's actually a case I worked on mm-hmm. um, where I was able to go through like two bankers boxes full of records. And I found her diary where that dated her bulimia back, you know, quite some time prior. Wow. So it was pretty cool. I was super interested in it. And he, he detoured me. He was like, look, you're good at this. Um, if you get your Ph.D. in psychology, then I will partner with you. And the guy was charging six seventy five an hour. Yeah. So I was like, holy cow. Good business model. Yeah. I'm, and and I, I was sure he would leave the business to me. So so I left law and I got into psychology and I did the master's and I started the PhD. And then I just um, realized that I wasn't an academic after all. Mm-hmm. And I needed to be in business and, you know, shifted gears into commercial real estate. And that's a whole different story. But um, Good for you with the pivot, though. I think so. Thank you. But at the same time, I... I'm glad that I pivoted out of psychology. I wish I pursued a law degree because it's only three years. You know, I spent my entire 20s on my PhD that I don't even have, you know, and now I happen to be surrounded by lawyers. And so can I make a plug? Yeah. Um, well, one thought, like I said, credit to you. I think there are still people that go to law school for the wrong reasons. And I think it is important to ask that series of questions. Why do you really want to go to law school at the given the high cost of tuition, is this something that you really want to do? Mm -hmm. So, but the world has changed. Loyola Law School has changed. The world has changed. And yes, if you want to be a practicing attorney, you do need to go get a JD, which is either three years or we at Loyola, as you know, offer an evening program, Mm. um, which is the top ranked evening program uh, anywhere west of the Eastern Seaboard. So we have a number of people that are working and going to law school at night. It's a unique thing that that we provide. My dad is actually a graduate of Loyola Law School's evening program. No if, if Loyola doesn't have that program, I'm not able to have all the opportunities in life that I've had because he was working during the day while he did that and never could have afforded to go to a law school that wasn't an evening program. But there are many opportunities now. As I said in the beginning, law is more important to the world than I think it's ever been. And increasingly, business people like yourself need to learn about law, maybe not to become practicing lawyers, but to grow their own legal IQ and to to be able to interact with lawyers better, to be a better consumer of legal products and services. So we've got a couple different programs. One is we have a one-year master's of law program Mm. where it's teaching oftentimes working professionals, but sometimes people that are in, have just graduated college and looking to work in different careers it's basically a year of law school. So you're getting uh, to learn about contracts, human resources, cybersecurity, some area of the law fairly deeply, mm-hmm. graduate in a year with a master's. You're not practicing law, but you are understanding key areas of law and legal regulation in a way that can be valuable for businesses. Yeah. But there's more. We're about to come live, uh, hopefully next week, with something called LLX. That's Loyola Law School Executive Legal Education. This Uh is our platform that will be targeted for professionals, executives who want to learn that slice of law to, to, to further their own careers. There will be fully online options. There will be boot camps that we'll be running at the law school. So that's very exciting. Um, And again, the the name, what we're calling that is LLX. So, um, 
what type of certification can you get through LLX and how long? Yeah, so the initial course that we're coming out of the box with is a online course uh, uh, called Negotiating for Success. So it is really primarily geared for business people, professionals who are not lawyers, but drawing on some of the legal principles around negotiation. Mm -hmm. This will be a six-week course where there'll be a cohort model. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can get a certificate at the end of that course for having completed it. It's not for academic credit per se, but it it certainly gives you successful completion of that course. You will get a certificate that that tells the world that you've done this. Right. Okay. Um, Interesting. So are you... To take it a step further, I mean, this my brain is always working in business. Have you collaborated with any corporations and their, I don't know, operations or HR department to say, hey, this certification of ours has real value. Would you consider making this a hiring criteria? Absolutely. No, it's a great question. It's something that we are part of what we hope to accomplish with LLX is a range of enterprise partners. Um, we've already, you know, we're in conversations with a number of them, but that that space of kind of professional executive learning is really important as companies have you know cut back on healthcare and other things this is a service that they're looking to provide and we think that we have a value that any large organization has lots of people who are working in legal adjacent areas mm. and we're not looking to make many lawyers but the fact of teaching people basics of contract law or other areas we think can be valuable to a company from a risk management perspective, from an efficiency perspective, we really think we've got a good value proposition on it. So yes, that's what we're working on. It's really exciting. And so I would imagine you're going to cover all areas, including human resources, which is kind of a big one, right? Because as it stands, a lot of HR departments are more um, after the fact. There's really not much of a uh, proactive element, right? That's a big one. Um, Kind of one thing that we think applies across industries is kind of contract law, kind of basic contract law for non-lawyers, how to read a contract, how to understand certain things. Uh, Regulation around cannabis, uh, which is, you know, a huge issue here in California. We're looking at a suite of offerings for either CEOs, um, eh, primarily CEOs, what to expect when you're expecting a lawsuit, when you Mm -hmm. are getting sued, what is the life cycle of that look like? Uh, We can do kind of startup boot camp for entrepreneurs? What are the kind of legal so range of things you need to know if you're starting a business? So yeah, it's, it's we we really think that there's some open space and a need in the world for us to be doing this. You know, I think, I'll speak for myself, but I would imagine I'm not alone in that. When people think of the law, they think, okay, um, I only need a lawyer for when bad stuff happens for the most part, or if I need a contract looked over to make sure that bad stuff isn't going to happen. Um, but the reality is you can be a much more effective person in business if you have this knowledge on contract laws and, and startup and, and cannabis, which is huge right now because there's so much ambiguity. And you know, even people I know in the industry are like, oh, I don't know this the way this law reads. It might mean this. I'm, I'm waiting to hear back from my lawyer. You know, But it's really arming yourself with the information to kind of set yourself up for success, right? We believe so. And again, part of what we can teach is when you need to call a lawyer and when you don't need to call a lawyer. Right. So, so that's, yeah, we think it's, we think there's an important role there. So the evening, the executive program is how long at Loyola? Um, so the executive program, the great thing about LLX is there will be a variety of different options. The, the initial course is a six week fully online cohort class um, where we'll be enrolling an initial cohort We'll be running boot camps either on the law school campus or at the university, which is in Westchester, or the university has a new Playa Vista location right in the heart of Silicon Beach. Um, we'll be doing enterprise offerings where we will you know, ourselves go out to our corporate partners uh, and spend time with them. So that that is a very flexible model. Mm-hmm. Our one-year master's program, so that is currently – a one-year residential program, or it can be two years, which means you're coming, spending time with us, uh, being a part of the actual physical, cultural presence of a law school. So getting there are kind involved, of different yeah. flavors for different different types of students. Um, do you have the 
pricing packages ready to go for LLX, like for a six-week course, how much would it be? Yeah, so the initial introduction to negotiations course, or I'm sorry, uh, negotiating for success course that we're going to offer, I believe we're coming out of the box at $1,000 mm-hmm. for that six-week course. And, you know, like any entrepreneur, we're out there in the market and seeing what's going to work. Sure. And then, um, but the executive program for the, J- the JD program, how long? So you, the, the JD program is three years. Okay. And the evening program or the part-time program is four years. Right. Okay. Um, the, the master's program that I mentioned where you're getting a master's of law. One. That's one or it can be two if you want to do it part-time. Got it. Okay. I, had some I see the wheel spinning. They're Jenna. spinning. They're spinning, Dean. I, <laughs> I talked to Charlie and I'm like, God, you know, I would be so much more effective in this operation if I was a lawyer. But then I realized that. You know, my skill set as I've developed it over the years simply because I couldn't practice law is very operational and transactional and, you know, business development, networking. And that's, you know, how I advise my clients. And um, but I don't know, it'd be kind of cool to add a law degree to my tool belt. And then I feel like it'd really be unstoppable. So watch out, world. You know, uh, we'll talk after. (laughs) All right. Let's see if I got four years in me. So, okay, so. You said you were a litigator before you became dean, right? Yep. What type, um, I mean, what would be your ideal type of case to try? Oh, gosh. Um, I wor- the, the cases that I worked on were large commercial litigation. I worked for a wonderful law firm uh, called Munger, Tolls & Olson here in Los Angeles. And I was doing antitrust cases. I was working on just kind of general commercial disputes, usually for large clients. And what you realize is that Yes, you know, the clients that we serve are often large businesses, but there are people behind those businesses and those people care very much about their business. So we were able to come in. The the wonderful thing about being a lawyer is that people are coming to you oftentimes with something very challenging or hard or painful that's happened to them. And and they're coming to you for your judgment and expertise to help guide them through that process. Mm. And that's a very, for me, it was a very satisfying way to to live and to make a professional existence. I loved, I loved being a lawyer. I loved working at a law firm. I found it phenomenally interesting. I just, for me, always had the teaching bug. Um, my kind of research area, once I became a professor in the area where I was working pro bono both now, but also as a practicing attorney, is in the field of disability law and mm. disability rights, the, the civil rights movement around people with disabilities. Um, so that was something that, that I've always cared a lot about and, uh, you know, is my way to use the law to, to hopefully make a difference in the world. I love that. It's really important that we have people like you that aren't all about, you know, their bottom line, but really about making a difference. So I think that um, Leola is very lucky to have you. Um, going back to what you were saying, I know when Laura Wasser was on our show, she had talked about, you know, when you're a lawyer, you're not just a lawyer. I mean, I guess you could choose to be, but she's very much there for her clients in, in, in other ways, as you've described, you know, being sort of moral support and then, um, guiding them through the divorce process and how to get back out there. And, you know, I think she mentioned like whitening your teeth and, you know, Mm -hmm. getting cute again. Um, so yeah, I think that, um, that's important. And Laura's a wonderful example of that, of the way a lawyer needs to be multidimensional. I mean, apart from being you know, a skilled lawyer and being a support system, Laura's also a phenomenal entrepreneur who's a very savvy business person yeah. and is kind of constantly looking around corners to think about law and technology and the impact of that. Have you looked at her app? Yeah, it's, it's over easy. easy. Yeah. yeah, it's so good and it's so cost effective. I mean, not that I'm encouraging anyone to go out and get get a divorce, but if you were so inclined, um, you know, it's, uh, I I can't believe they have like 24 hour support too for questions and it's under $2,000, I think. Yeah. Um, She's created something really valuable, really valuable. And, um, yeah, she is, she is a badass. She's a force. Yeah. And so she, she was just at Loyola, right? Yeah. She was speaking to a group of our students today. I saw her before I came to the studio. She is so great, as is Charles, about any time we need them for anything, saying yes and coming back and talking to our students and yeah. being a part of the life of the law school. Um, you mentioned well, Charlie, obviously, before. One of the awesome things about inviting Charlie to be on the board and the roles that he played is 
showing, bringing closer to the center this idea of lawyer as entrepreneur and that lawyers are doing a variety of things out in the world and not everybody is going to work for a traditional law firm. You take someone like Charles who has so many different interests and balls that he's juggling and and law is central to some of them and connected to all of them. And it's a really, he's been just wonderful for us in that regard. Because increasingly students are coming looking for a different set of things. Right. And I think that that's the world that we live in. I don't know that it's just enough to do one thing anymore. Um, or, or I suppose it could be enough, um, you know, for your finances, but I'm finding that everyone's diversifying, you know, I'll see, uh, doctors opening up med spas and everyone's looking to, to kind of branch out. And I know Charlie's been hit with this question many times, like, how do you do it? And, um, it's, uh, I think it's really cool that we live in a time, you know, something positive about the changes going on in this world where you can be a lawyer and a restaurateur and, um, you know, do some hotel development deals. And I, it's just, it's, um, it's awesome. And I'm really excited to see that Loyola is preparing its students for, um, those types of changes and, and, and to become entrepreneurial with their law degree, you know, and not just say, okay, you have to go out and find a job at a traditional law firm. Cause I think there's so many ways to work as a lawyer. Absolutely. Um, you didn't get to try Azunia tequila today. We weren't going to blast you with tequila, <laughs> but, um, but I've been enjoying it. It's uh, it's the Azunia Black, two-year aged. Have you ever tried it? I've not, but I look forward to doing so. Yeah, I'm going to have to give you some samples on the way out. Um, if you happen to like whiskey, it's got like a little bit of a whiskey feel because it's aged in uh, in oak barrels. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I do tend to like whiskey more than other things. So look forward to that. Okay, yeah, I can't wait to get your feedback. Um, okay, so being a single lady, what if I wanted to go and meet a lawyer? Where would I go? <laughs> like I'm give laughing. a single lady I some dating tips so i have absolutely no idea what do you <laughs> I'm mean completely you have unhelpful on bars this. restaurants I like where what are the hangouts go to places with my kids and my wife <laughs> I, i'm sure our students are going places um god jenna there are a lot of things i could be helpful on this no is this is not, so one. <laughs> not one of them. i'll text julie and ask her i bet <laughs> you know who would know ton Yes, Tan would she, definitely know. I, so tell us a little bit about Tan. She's wonderful. Tan is our associate dean for advancement and development. She oversees our fundraising operation, our alumni relations. She is she has an MBA. Uh, just a wonderful part of our team. I'm I'm so blessed to to work with just some of the most talented people I've ever met who care about the school and show up every day trying to make the the, the school and serve our students and community and. Tan is, you know, very much a part of that team. I think she's a lawyer too, right? She's a lawyer. Tan is not a lawyer, just an MBA. MBA, Um, And is a very kind of savvy marketer and business person and great having her on the team. Um, When I came to, uh, what event was it? You had some event. There was an auction that Mm -hmm. uh, we contributed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't like any of the beverages out at the bar, so she was she able to find you something. Yes, she did. She's she is uh, man. You need anything, she will find it for you. She's wonderful. (laughs) She's great. Yeah, love her. So, do you have any interesting events on board? Um. Gosh, I feel like these days I'm taking it day to day. This weekend, I'm getting to go to spring training with a group of my high school college friends. That'll be fun. Totally non-legal or nothing to do with that, but that'll be a good time. Uh, wait, wait. Loyola, uh, the 100-year anniversary is yeah, coming up. Yeah, next year we turn 100. That's a big deal. Is it so, next year? Yes. We were founded in 1920. So in 2020, we will be okay. 100. So we are... Currently thinking about a wide range of ways to celebrate that, to put yes. it on the map, uh, expect banners and lots of different programming. <laughs> and balloons. So, yeah, <laughs> big party, big party. No, it's really fun. There aren't many schools that are, I think, uh, in in Los Angeles, I believe only USC is older than that. Um, so we'll be really looking to connect with the community and, and, and celebrate all kinds of things. It's going to be a good time. That is so cool. Michael, you and I are going to have to talk after the show because one of the things I do is host professional networking events and I've been toying with the idea of a conference. So let's talk. Love it. It could be a great time. Love it. Yes. So, um, okay, we are actually out of time, but as we exit, I'm wondering, is there a favorite quote that you can share with us today? 
That's a great question. One that I've been spending a lot of time with recently, and I don't know the whole quote, but I'll describe it. It's uh, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, The Man in the Ring. Mm. And it talks about how, it's very gendered, but talks about how the person in a boxing ring who himself is, you know, experiencing the blood and the pain, uh, other people shouldn't be judging that person because he's the one inside and, and it's easy to be a armchair quarterback. Yeah. I, I heard about it. I was listening to a LeBron James podcast and, and he reads it and writes some portion of it on his shoes before every game. But wow. Man in the Ring, Teddy Roosevelt, recommend it. I'm going to look it up. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for being here. You are wonderful and you're welcome back anytime. Um, thank you for listening, everyone. You are on with Jenna Benemy on the future of Check us out on Instagram at the Jenna Ben and the future of dot radio. Thank you. Thank you. Azunia tequila. Uh, you keep me very entertained. Not that I need it, but um, we will be back in a week. Thank you guys.